Welcome to Redemption Hill podcast. For more information about Redemption Hill, go to redemptionshill.com. Hey, good morning. It's good to be here with you. This morning, I feel a bit like a roadie this morning. It felt kind of cool, like running. Um, hopefully, that'll be the only time. I don't have to change any guitar strings or anything in the middle of a... Um, but hey, I'm really appreciative of these two leading us in um, in worship this morning. So, so again, good morning. My name is Garrett Richards. If you're visiting us, we're super glad you're here. Um, it's really bright, so I can't see can't see you. So, but um, I'm an elder here, uh, and I, I get to, to preach this morning. So I'm excited to to do that. Um, before we dig in the word, I kind of want to give you an update. TJ, the last few weeks has um, been kind of laying before us. Um, where we are and some steps we've taken uh, in trying to obtain our own building. Uh, so he, we've been asking for prayer. Um, and uh, this, this week, just want to give you an update that uh, late this last week, we got um, an update on that that was kind of disappointing to us. I struggled with kind of what to say before us. So I don't know if I, I, I don't know if I wanted to say we got some bad news because we, we want to be in the will of, of God. So I don't know if it's bad but it was certainly disappointing um, for us. We feel like we've done the right steps. We feel like we have um, done our, our due diligence and as a body that we've planned really well for a few years to, to try to find our own home. Uh, and so we, we are hopeful. Um, and uh, today we're just a little bit unsure of what those next steps are. Um, but what I was thinking this morning as I was driving to church on, on what to share is we, we do want to be in the will of God, and, and so we need you to continue to pray. Um, I was thinking that just because maybe we got a response on this space that was not what we were hoping for, um, it doesn't mean that that's not still God's will for us. We, we believe it was a smart move for us, and again, I, I was just thinking, I think we've done everything right, God, so if, if you want us to have this space, you're going to have to give it to us. So, so here's what, I, what my prayer is going to be, and, and maybe think about joining me is that, um, that God would change people's hearts uh, and really just give us favor. Um, just because we, we maybe got a no, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's a no and God has something else for us. Um, but, but I think my, this week my prayer is going to be, God, would you just change the hearts of people that need to, to, to make that a yes? Again, we feel good. We feel, we've prayed. We feel like this could be a really good home for us. So God, you're going to have to change the hearts of those who are maybe controlling those decisions and are maybe not as open to having a church in that space. Um, so just continue to pray. Um, we have to battle discouragement, um, and, and we believe that God is going to give us a place I still hope it's in this place. Um, I believe that God can, can change people's hearts and can change people's minds. Uh, and, and then he would, get, he would get the glory, right? If we get a call this week that said, you know what, never mind, we changed our minds. You guys can have it. We're going to say, God is so good. And, and that's kind of what we want in that. So um, just continue to pray. Um, don't be discouraged. Continue to, to just ask the Lord to, um, to show us, for us to, to be wise. Uh, this may be him doing that, right? This may be him saying like, nope. You're, that is not what, what I want you to do. And then that's what we want to, that's where we want to be, if that's the case. So just want to give you that update. Please continue to pray. Uh, maybe continue to keep your eyes out for, uh, for potential spaces. Um, 
Clayton had a dream. He's, he's speaking uh, prophetically on a different space um, that we don't even know where it existed yet, but maybe, maybe that's what God has for us. But um, just want to give you that update. So um, let's pray. I'll settle down and we'll get into the word this morning. God, we just thank you. Um, you are good. Um, we, we trust in you and, and we want to be in step with where you would have us, Lord. Uh, we want to be in a home that, that you have made for us, God. But ultimately, wherever we find ourselves, we just want to be faithful to you. Uh, and so this morning, that is here in this time. And I thank you for those who have been faithful to be here, to hear your word. Uh, and so, God, we just, we just want to hear uh, from you. Would you speak to us? Uh, would you encourage us through your word? Would you strengthen us in the midst of suffering? Uh, and hard times, and, and, and help us to, to be a people that perseveres. God, would you uh, give us faith? Um, let us just trust in you. God, would you just call my heart? Would you be made much of in this space, Lord? And would we uh, just glorify and worship you well? In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, again, good morning. Let's start with our text this morning. So, um, we are uh, in our fourth week, I believe it is, in Hebrews chapter 11 today. So we will be closing out the chapter of Hebrews 11. Um, and we're going to be reading verses 29. Uh, I'm going to do 29 through 40. Uh, so if you will, if you have a Bible, read along with me. If not, we'll put that on the screen. Uh, but let's start with the word of the Lord. Hebrews 11, starting with verse 29. By faith... The people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Verse 32, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection." Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in the skins of goats, destitute of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy wandering about in deserts and mountains and in the dens and caves of the earth. Verse 39. And all these things, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not, or they should not be made perfect. This is the word of the Lord. So in 1994, there was a great African king uh, who was beloved by his people. And his brother was an evil, jealous man who wanted the throne for himself and thought up this plan to, to do that, to assume power. And he assassinated 
his brother, this well-loved king. Now, part of the problem is since the evil brother was really not the next in line for the throne, the king had a young son. So as part of his plan, this evil brother staged the assassination of the king and tricked this young prince into taking responsibility for the death of his father, causing him through guilt to flee the kingdom. A young man, young prince, guilt-ridden, alone, and scared. He fled to a bordering land and began adopting sort of the selfish, self-help customs and lifestyles of its inhabitants. After several years in exile, the prince received word that his evil uncle, now the king, had led his people into misery and despair. Hearing this, the prince began fighting this internal battle between his actual calling to be king and lead his people well and the lifestyle that he had adopted from this current YOLO culture. So the call to the worldly comforts in this situation won the battle inside the heart of the young prince. He had decided to do nothing until something miraculous took place. The prince had a supernatural experience in which in a moment of confusion and turmoil, you guys are good, I'm, I'm happy. This supernatural experience, he heard the audible voice of his deceased father who spoke these words of wisdom to him. He said, remember who you are. So strengthened by the reminder of his true calling, his identity and lineage, he returned to his rightful home, overthrew his evil uncle and led his people and lands back to health and balance. Now, as we've seen through 11 chapters of Hebrews so far, we often have an internal battle when we are faced with adversity, suffering, hardship, or even just inconvenience, right? And we're given a couple of choices. We can turn to the world's calling and run to what is comfortable, what is convenient, what is easy or gratifying, or we can press into our calling, to who we are. We can cling to Christ, delay the gratification of the world while we wait for something greater, for a greater pleasure in eternity and remember, again, who we are as sons and daughters of the living God. I'm happy that you guys are pretty quick on your feet this morning. In case you're not with us and you've never heard this story of the African prince before, it's the, it's the Lion King, right? The prince is Simba, all right? But TJ pointed out last week in his sermon uh, kind of a great biblical example of our tendency to sell our inheritance for much lesser things, right? In last week's text, the author of Hebrews gave us this example of how Abraham, while pointing to him as a great example of faith, Abraham was willing to give his most precious worldly possession 
his son Isaac. And he's commended in the text as a great person of faith for his willingness to do that. And we know that God relented. uh, and, And because of Abraham's faith, he did not have to sacrifice his son Isaac. But not long after that story in Genesis, we we move along and we see that Isaac, being delivered, has two sons, Esau, who's the oldest, and Jacob, the youngest. And in that story, in Genesis 25, starting verse 29, we're given this fascinating moment. Verse 29 of Genesis 25. Once, when Jacob was cooking stew... Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Jacob said, sell me your birthright. That escalated. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Verse 34, then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus, Esau despised his birthright. What a fascinating story, right? Doesn't this feel like your kids coming to you one hour after like their third snack since lunch and they're like, I'm starving, right? That's what it feels like to me. And then you have the younger brother saying, yeah, I'll I'll share Sell me your birthright. It's fascinating. Esau, facing this discomfort of his hunger, sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. Right Now, birthright doesn't carry as much weight for us and meaning today. We, we, we struggle with that a bit. We may think of it in terms of like inheritance and being in a will, which we can kind of understand that. Right? But then, back then, this was a huge deal. So think even just beyond the inheritance that we might think of. There's a greater impact. In Matthew 22, verse 32, Jesus says these words, and he's quoting scripture here, but this is what Jesus says. I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So we've spent three weeks up to this point, and just in in chapter 11 of Hebrews, with the author giving us examples from our biblical heroes of their steadfastness, their faith, their obedience, in clinging to a future hope rather than turning from their current suffering, their current situation, and turning their back on Jesus, which would have been easier. Right, And the author closed out chapter 10 by saying that these persecuted Christians that he is writing to in Hebrews, he says, we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. That was the end of chapter 10. We are not those who shrink back, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And the closing of chapter 11 today looks back on that verse as we're giving a few final examples of those whose faith conquered and endured until the end. All right, so this starts in verse 39, 29, 
with the people crossing the Red Sea, right? This is Moses leading the people out of Egypt and the faith that was demonstrated all through that story when they come to the sea, faced with the sea on one side and Pharaoh's armies on the other and the faith that was demonstrated as he parts the Red Sea and the faith that it took to walk through those, right? And then when Pharaoh's army comes in, the water crashes and they are destroyed. This is where we start our example of faith. Then our author skips 40 years. So from when they crossed the Red Sea, we skip 40 years because during that 40 years, there was a rebellion. The people were not faithful and they perished in the desert, okay? But we have them crossing the Red Sea, skip 40 years to Joshua. By Joshua. The book of Joshua begins with a transfer of power from Moses to Joshua. And God instructs Joshua to be faithful. This is what it says, Joshua 1, starting with verse 6. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Be strong and courageous. Twice he says that. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is the transfer of power to Joshua. And Joshua's first challenge was to capture the fortress city of Jericho. Now this city was well protected, stone thick stone walls all the way around it, 13 feet high. The army that Joshua is leading is not much of an army, right? They've been wandering in the desert. They're not a military power. But before the battle, Joshua encounters a mysterious figure who named himself as the commander of the army of the Lord. And first he told Joshua that the Lord had delivered Jericho into his hands. So it hasn't happened yet, but he's already said it's yours. Jericho is yours. God is giving it to you. But then he gave him instructions, which if you think about it, had to be very bizarre at that time. The instructions were to have the people march around the city for seven days, just walk around it. And on the seventh day, blow the trumpets. And when they did that, the impenetrable fortress would crumble. Seems that would be a weird instruction, right? Like, hey, this is yours. You're going to win. But just walk around it for like seven days and then just blow the trumpets and it's yours. Joshua and the people trusted and obeyed these instructions. So we see him listed here in this hall of faith. We see them listed as having great trust and faith and obeying carefully the commands that he was given, even though in your mind it had to not make sense, right? There had to have been a better way in their mind. Then we're given the name of Rahab, the prostitute who helped Joshua's spies by hiding them from Jericho's leaders, right? She's mentioned in the next breath. Think about the faith that that took on her part, right? She's behind this massive wall, looking out at this ragtag army, thinking there's no way that these people are any risk to us. 
They had nothing that would make anyone believe they had an actual chance of capturing the city, but Rahab risked her life to conceal and protect Joshua's spies. Why would she do that? This is what she said. I know that the Lord has given you the land. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. On her faith in God alone, she believed in the power of God to save. In both of these examples, it would have been so easy to put our trust in things that make sense to us and not trust in the promises or the instruction of the Lord or what we know about who God is, but they knew who God is and who they are in his name. Then in the next several verses, our author, after already giving us so many examples earlier in chapter 11, tells us that there's too many others to even have time to go into, right? And what more shall I say, he says in verse 32. Gideon, who gave Israel over to the Midianites with a force of just 300 men by blowing trumpets and smashing jars with torches inside. That sent the opposing army into a panic and they won the battle. Barak, who led the united tribes in their victory against Sisera and the mighty Canaanite chariot army. Chariots were the, the top of the line of military equipment and weapons then. And he led them in victory. We have Samson and Jephthah from the book of Judges. Jephthah, through faith, led the tribes in the battle against the Ammonites. And Samson's probably a story we are familiar with. And though we know that he was a real piece of work, right? He was a real mess. He achieved his faith in his death during his one-man war against the Philistines. We have David and Samuel mentioned here, two great heroes of the Old Testament, great sinners, did some messed up stuff, but great men of faith, with even David being called a man after God's own heart. Too many other stories to name, the author says. These giants of the faith, they conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched fires, escaped the sword, were made powerful in weakness, the text tells us. They became mighty in war and put the fear of God into armies, causing them to tuck tail and run, to flee, putting them to flight, the text says. The point of all of this is that by faith, God's people achieve what they never could have done on their own otherwise. In openly miraculous ways, like walls just crumbling down at the, the sound of a trumpet, as well as in more subtle and secret ways. The Lord puts his great power to work for those who trust him, right? 
this had to feel, and it feels to me like this is the locker room speech, right? This is William Wallace leading the, the battle cry. This is run through the wall type of stuff. Look at all that these people in their faith were able to accomplish. Their experience can encourage us that in our faith, that the great promises of the gospel will be fulfilled in God's timing, just as their promises were. But as the whole chapter has taught us, our promises will not be completely fulfilled this side of heaven, okay? We may experience some of that here, praise God. But the future glory that awaits those whose faith is in Jesus, we don't even know what that is yet. We can't even comprehend that. So what I'd like to do, and generally what we like to do, is we'd like to just stop right here, right? We've got the locker room speech. Let's go out and conquer the city. Let's, let's conquer our battles. We'll be victorious in faith, right? We love to think of ourselves as Daniel in the lion's den, that God would deliver us from certain pain and suffering, We love to be ourselves Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who because of our faithfulness to God by refusing to turn back from the Lord, by refusing the king's order to deny him that that we would be delivered from pain and suffering. We would be delivered from the power of fire. But we have to be really careful when we look at these incredible examples of believers being delivered because of their faith. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not touched by the flames when they were thrown in to the furnace. They did not perish. But what is probably the most important for us to realize as we hear these examples and important for us to preach to ourselves today is that even though They did not perish. They were prepared to. This is what Daniel chapter 3, verse 17 says. This is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... It's a really important piece. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. They were delivered, but they were prepared for any outcome. If the account of faith in Hebrews were to stop right here, right, it might leave us with a dangerously false impression that faith can keep us from suffering in this world, that we will be delivered from any, um, any um, bad situation, any persecution we may face, that if only we have enough faith that we will never be sick or we will never be poor or we will never be troubled in any way. But that is simply not true. In verses 35 through 38 of today's text, 
refutes this kind of thinking, right? This is why we need to go through the whole text. Verses 35 through 38 starts telling us about all of these others. These people who trusted God and yet were subjected to some of the greatest trials. Let's read that. Verse 35. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. The author closes out this chapter after showing us all these great examples of what God can accomplish through faithful people by painting us the full picture of a faith that produces perseverance. The kind that believes in the power of God to do wondrous things, yes, right? To tear down walls, to heal sick, to raise the dead, to give us a building to whatever it is, right? We believe that, yes. But also, and maybe even more so, the kind of faith that endures and remains faithful in the midst of immense suffering and immense pain. Torture, mocking, beating, imprisonment, stoned, sawn in two, poor, lonely, isolated. This kind of sacrifice is incomprehensible to the man or woman who does not know God. To remain faithful in the midst of this kind of anguish is not comprehensible to the man or woman who does not know God, but to those that do, to the eyes of faith, it is seen as a fair bargain. However unpleasant, It is, right? None of us are signing up for this. We're all hoping to be faithful and we want to be Daniel. We want to be Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, right? We don't want to be sawn in two. But however unpleasant, it's seen a fair bargain because of the future promise and hope that we have. Even it's seen as a privilege or an honor to suffer for God's sake. In the apocryphal book of Maccabees, um, there's a, a, a brutal story about seven brothers who accepted their deaths rather than renounce their faith. So there was a, a terrible king who was persecuting people in the faith. And rather than renounce their faith, these seven brothers chose death. And they did this because of their hope in a resurrection, in future promises, remembering who they are as sons of the living God. 
one of the brothers said to his tormentors, the king of the universe will raise us up to an everlasting renewal of life because we have died for his laws. In studying it and reading it this week, to be honest, I knew that, that uh, our kids were in here today uh, and I, I didn't feel comfortable sharing the story. It's really gruesome. Very hard to read and even harder to imagine the kind of pain and anguish that these brothers were put through. But at the end of the story, the last of the brothers to die, already seen six of his brothers tortured and killed in ways that turn your stomach. This last brother turned to the king and assured him that his brothers, though dead, this is what he said, after enduring their brief pain, now drink of ever-flowing life by virtue of God's covenant. The only way that we can remain faithful in the face of this kind of hardship is to keep our eyes on Jesus and remember who we are and the promises that God has given us, even though we will not fully understand those this side of eternity. We have this future hope that can strengthen us to persevere. Hebrews 11.38 says the world was not worthy of these people. That the world was not worthy of these with such great faith. The world thought that they were unfit because of their faith in God. But in reality, the scripture says the world was not fit for them. The world said, you're not good enough for this world. But in reality, the world was not good enough for people of their kind of faith. And as verse 16 of, of this chapter tells us, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. God is not ashamed to be called their God. What the author is writing to the church is to encourage and remind them and us that it isn't our circumstances that matter. It isn't the outcome of our trials that matter. It isn't whether we succeed and, and get through those trials in victory or defeat that matters, but it is only our faith in God. The Christian life doesn't guarantee us comfort in the world. Putting your hope and faith in Jesus does not solve all of your troubles. Yes, God delivers some from trouble, but others he delivers in trouble. Delivers them from this world to greater promises with him. So we can be strengthened today knowing that if our faith is in Jesus, God is gonna place us on one of two sides, right? One is the side of those who conquered in success, those that we like to think about, these heroes of the faith that we, we like to, to think of ourselves as in these situations, those who conquered in success, or on the side of those who conquered in defeat. It doesn't matter what our circumstances are, whether we 
live in immense blessing or an immense suffering. What matters is the faith by which we may conquer in all circumstances through the blood of Jesus. If we feel, you feel like you're killing life, things are going great, the Lord is pouring his blessings on you, you're conquering all of those things, praise God for that. Praise him for that. You feel like you can't get a win, like it's blow after blow, wave after wave, right? The enemy would say, would want to discourage you and say, you're doing something wrong. It'd be easier just to, to give it up. Your conquerors all the same. Faith in victory is not any greater than faith through suffering in what the world would call defeat. What matters is the faith by which we may conquer in all circumstances because of the blood of Jesus. So as we close out chapter 11 with all of his examples of heroes of the faith, I want to leave you with four conclusions that we can take about faith. The first is that faith will empower us. Faith will empower you. Faith enables us to do amazing things. This list of heroes that we've gone through accomplished crazy things, mighty things, because they trusted God. And he chose to work powerfully in their lives. They didn't do any of these things on their own strength. Joshua didn't have this military strategy to let's march around the city for seven days and then just blow the trumpets and we'll win, right? It was God that did that. They did nothing on their own strength, but each was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Why would Rahab make that decision? The Holy Spirit giving her faith. Verse 34 says they were made strong out of their weakness. Where they were weak, God was strong. And like these people, you and I need God's help. We need divine help to be able to endure. It'll never work out if you try to obey in your own strength. When we just try to that white knuckle faith, it doesn't work. But with the help of the Spirit, with God's help, obedience becomes an inevitable result of God's grace working through us by faith. Faith empowers us. Who knows what he might accomplish through you, through this body for remaining faithful. The second is that faith will sustain us. Faith sustains us while we wait for God's promises to be fulfilled. It's not in flesh. It's not here. It's not in this life but in glory that we will be fit to receive what God has for us. He's given us promises. As we've already said, we get to experience some of those now, but we won't experience those fully in this life because we're not ready for it. Only in glory will we be fit to receive what God has for us. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined 
what God has prepared for those who love him. That always blows my mind. I feel like I have a pretty good imagination. This says man has not even imagined how good the promises are that are coming for those who put their faith in him and remain faithful. We serve a good God. Thank God that many blessings come to Christian and unbeliever alike in this lifetime, right? We've talked in the last several weeks about common grace. God is good. And we should be grateful for the blessings that we experience here and now. I am blessed beyond measure. But even as we know that difficulty will come and it will be painful, it will be hard. We can have faith that beyond the cross, there awaits a crown. The faith sustains for the man or woman of God because faith perceives and makes real the things that are not yet seen. Right? That's the, but if not, O king. Number three, faith will be demanded of us. Times of trial demand faith. It takes faith, faithful obedience to his word, to pursuing him in prayer, to faithful gathering of the body. This letter in Hebrews was written to those who were tempted to fall back into old, easier ways because of the persecution they were being faced with for being believers. So the encouragement is that knowledge of Christ's suffering for us and the unbreakable bond created with him through our faith. Unbreakable bond, it it demands faith. This is why Paul could write, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's Romans 8. Faith will be demanded of us. And four, faith is what saves us. Faith will save us. In the end, when all else is gone, what will matter is our faith. Faith is what saves not necessarily delivers you from your struggle, not necessarily saves you from this worldly affliction that you have or the pain that you are feeling, but faith is what saves us from eternal separation from God. Think back at the examples we're given of all of these great heroes. Some were Jews, Others were not. Some were rich. Others were poor. Some were men. Others were women. Some were loved. Others were hated. Some would be seen as successful. Others were not. So what is it then that puts their names on this blessed list of God's beloved? Our heroes of the faith. What is it? that puts them there, one thing, their faith, their faith. While our trials 
probably pale in comparison to these examples that we see in Scripture. Right? We are not being flogged. We are not being sawn in two. Right? So while it pales in comparison, our trials are at times no less tempting for us to turn back or to turn inward as I believe the enemy would have us do sometimes. To take our eyes off of Christ, of off of the cross, to not be faithful. While probably not painful martyrdom that we're facing, your trials, your sufferings are no, by no means easy for us to endure on our own strength. It's embarrassing when I think about my own suffering after reading examples like this and think about the daily failures that I have to remain faithful. But as difficult as life is for us, some more than others, someday you and I are gonna look back and you're gonna see that a lot of the things that we think are so important here and now, the things that, that the enemy would have us turn to or put above our faith, put at a higher priority, our style or our status or our bank accounts or our reputation or our homes or our vacations or any of those things, we're gonna look back and see how insignificant those were. Even our pain, the things that feel excruciating to us now. If our faith and hope is in Jesus, we're gonna look back and think, that was really, that was really, Nothing. With faith, we gain Christ and his cross, the forgiveness of sin and life everlasting. Without faith, we're left to perish with the useless things of this world, rich or poor, popular or lonely, loved or hated. What will matter compared to your faith? Faith is what saves us. So with that, labor for, press into, cling to the eternal treasure that we're offered through our faith. It's more precious than anything that the world offers us because through faith, your soul will be saved. In 1956, Jim Elliott uh, was one of five Christian missionaries who were killed in the mission field in Ecuador. And in his journal, which has since been published, you can read it, Jim quoted a 17th century preacher who said this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's looking to a future promise that will not be realized here. These men and women here listed in Hebrews 11 died for their faith, but they did so without receiving in the here and now all that had been promised. But verse 40 said, God provided something better for us. The key word here is better. That's the key to the whole book of Hebrews. Better. 
All of Hebrews speaks of better things in Christ, a better plan, a better priest, a better covenant, a better sacrifice, a better blood, a better forever home, a better promise. God provided something better for us. God's people, unfortunately, will suffer in the present, but they also will receive a future glory. Right? That should strengthen us. You don't get it all now. In Christ, you get it all, but you get it on that day when he will look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. And the heart of man has not even imagined how much greater that promise is going to be than the things that we think are great right now. Right? Band, you, you guys can come back up. I want to encourage us today. I want to make sure you're not hearing, well, I'm not being tortured. I don't live in a cave. So suck it up and realize your problems aren't that big a deal, right? It's just not true. It's not true. They're hard. Suffering is real. It hurts. But we need to be encouraged. Not that if we have enough faith, everything will go, go right for us. I wish that were the case. It's just not, right? But again, if you feel like, I'm, God, I'm being faithful. I feel like I'm doing, I'm pressing into you and it just hurts all the time. It's suffering all the time. Why would you do this to me? Not to feel that somehow your faith is lesser than those that, that look like they're killing it. That those that look like they're walking in victory. So wrestle with that, with that this week. How much do we let our circumstances dictate where we are faithful or discourage us or distract us? those who persevere, who remain faithful, all get to inhabit and, and inherit the kingdom of God. So as we begin to go into worship this morning, we're gonna have some time to just thank a good God, to, to praise his name, to sing of his goodness and to pray. And during that time, we'll open up the front for communion you can come as you're ready. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 says this, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You don't have to be a member here to take communion. All we ask is that your faith be in the Lord. But be encouraged this morning. Be encouraged that we serve a God who can deliver us.
And may we be faithful followers who would persevere regardless of our worldly circumstances. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that, uh, that you are a God of victory. We thank you that you work through faithful, broken, flawed people to do amazing works and get glory for yourself, God. We long to be those people. But God, we are equally thankful that when the world would look at some and view them as failures and view their circumstances or their ending as unbearable, that God, even in the midst of that, you are delivering them to something greater, that they are conquerors, conquering the internal call that we have to turn from you, to seek our own comfort, Lord. Lord, I pray you would encourage us in the midst of wherever we are. God, show us where we can be faithful. Lord, as we worship, we just ask that you be glorified because you are worthy. You are good. We love you. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for your blood and the body and the salvation and future promise we have in you. God, and we long for that day. We anticipate that day. Strengthen us while we wait for it. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.